Heavenly Father, as the children head out to uh, their classes, we pray for them. Please have mercy on them. Please would they grow up to know and love and trust you and the Lord Jesus Christ. And for ourselves now, as we turn to your word, uh, please would you help us uh, open the eyes of our hearts and speak to us that we might honor you and trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Being properly armed for battle is so, so important. You think of the war at the moment in Ukraine, you think of those soldiers on the front line. Uh, they've got to have their helmet, their weapons, their, 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 their gun, their boots. Uh, they've got to have all of this equipment. If you send them out into battle without the right armor, without the right, the right weaponry, it's all going to go wrong. They're just not going to last. You've got to be armed, pro armed properly for battle. And of course, we know that it's the same in the Christian life. In the battle that we face to live for God, we need to be properly armed. So what's our armor? What weaponry do we need? That's the question we're really going to be thinking about uh, this morning. Now, I guess in answer to that question, we might turn to somewhere like Ephesians 6 and think about uh, putting on the full armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, the belt of truth, and so on. But there's another weapon too, not mentioned in that passage, but mentioned in our passage this morning, 1 Peter 4. Let me just read verse 1 again and see if you can pick up what that weapon is. Since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude. So in the battle to live for God, we're to arm ourselves with an attitude, a mindset, a way of thinking, a way of thinking that Christ had that we need to copy. But what is that attitude that we need to arm ourselves with? Well, I think I would sum it up like this. It's the attitude that says, I would rather suffer than sin. I wonder if I can put on to the first uh, slide, please. I'd rather suffer uh, than sin. In other words, uh, God is so important to me that I'd rather be rejected by man than sin against him. God is so precious that if I had to choose between being bombarded with slander and letting God down, I'd choose slander any day of the week. I'd rather suffer than sin. That was Christ's attitude, and that is the attitude that we too are to arm ourselves with in the battle to live for God. And let me just show us that from, from these verses. If you've got your Bibles open, uh, have a look down at verse uh, 1 again. The end of verse 1 really uh, unpacks this attitude. Since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude. And here's the crucial bit. Because whoever suffers in the body has finished with sin. Whoever suffers in the body has finished with sin. Which may sound a bit confusing, but really what it means is just that to suffer for God 
to be willing to suffer for God is a sign that someone has put sin behind them, a sign that they're not living for themselves anymore. If someone is prepared to suffer for Christ and to be insulted and so on, then it's obvious they have clearly made a clear break from their sinful past because they're not living for an easy life anymore. Whoever suffers in the body has finished with sin. And that's the attitude that we are called to adopt. I'd sooner suffer than sin. I'd rather be, if it came to it, rejected by man than sin against God. And of course, that's the same attitude that Christ had. That's how he thought. You think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, as in his mind's eye, he, he, he contemplated and thought about the crucifixion. Um, he was in anguish. He asked his father, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. It was a horrible thought. And yet when it came to it, he'd rather suffer than sin. Because what does he go on to say? But not my will, but yours be done, even though it's going to cost me my life. I'd rather suffer than sin. I'd rather be rejected by man than sin against you. So Christ, he suffered in his body, and we are to arm ourselves with that same attitude. I'd rather suffer than sin. Now, that's easy to say, um, but what's going to help us uh, to uh, think like that, to think like Jesus in that way? Well, thankfully, we don't need to develop a, a taste for sin. Um, we don't need to uh, somehow cultivate a perverse enjoyment of suffering or being insulted. And we don't need to just knuckle down and uh, be more self-controlled. If we're going to think like this, if we're going to embrace this attitude, we need to grow in our love for God. To be willing to suffer for God, uh, we've got to be, uh, he's got to be precious to us. Yeah. That means we need to ponder his kindness, his immense kindness in rescuing us. It means we need to recognize that our relationship with him is the greatest treasure that anyone could have. It means being captivated by him and finding our satisfaction in him. To think like Jesus in this way, we need to be captivated by God. We also need to grow in our hatred of sin so that we see sin not just as something which is wrong, but as something which is disloyal and offensive to our God. We need to recognize sin's pleasure as being a kind of cheap, tacky counterfeit that can never satisfy the way God can satisfy. That's what we need to do if, we, if we're going to embrace this attitude and think like Jesus and say, I'd rather suffer than sin. We need to. Uh, God needs to be precious to us. Sin needs to be ugly to us. But let's try and get, go a little bit uh, more, let's try and get a bit more concrete in this. We said, okay, I'd rather suffer than sin. Um, okay, but what does that look like day to day? How would you spot someone who had that attitude? What would they say? What kind of things would they think? Well, firstly, they'll be thinking, I'm done with sinning. See, this is from verses 2 and 3. Someone like that is going to be thinking, I am done 
with, sin, with sinning. Have a look down at verse 2. Uh, speaking of uh, believers who think like the Lord Jesus, as a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Uh, someone who thinks like Jesus, it's as if they've taken out a great big thick marker, pe marker pen and drawn a great big thick line under their old sinful way of living. It's as if they're saying, that was back then, that stays there, that is not me anymore. Oh, I used to live for evil human desires. My mantra used to be, if it feels good, I'll do it. But not anymore. Now I'm living for the will of God to please him. That's how uh, someone who has this attitude will think, I'm done with sinning. Or as verse 3 puts it, um, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. In other words, the person who thinks like Jesus is going to say to themselves, I've spent enough time. I've spent enough time think, doing those type of things, indulging in sin. I've wasted enough of my life chasing after cheap, sinful pleasure. But not anymore. I I'm done with sinning. That's to be their mindset. Now, just to be clear, we've got to be clear on this, that in, in this life, we will never be sin-free. Um, Jesus expects that every single day we will need to confess new sins to him. You think of the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. This is a daily prayer. Forgive us our sins. And he will always forgive us when we turn to him. We'll never be sin-free in this life. But we are to think of ourselves as believers as being done with sin. So we're not to start the day thinking, well, maybe a little bit of sin today. It'll be fine. I mean, I'm never going to be perfect anyway. And in any case, I can always ask for forgiveness tomorrow and I'll be forgiven. We're not to think like that. We're to start the day thinking to ourselves, I'm done with sin. I am through with sin. That is not me anymore. I'm not going to live for it anymore. In that sense, the healthy Christian is never going to be planning to sin against God. They're never going to be wondering to themselves whether sometime in the future they might indulge in sin again. They're not going to think like that. They might still fall into sin. We will still fall into sin. But they'll not be planning to. I'm done with sin. That's the attitude that we're to arm ourselves with. And of course, there's always provision for sin. Um, we can always turn to God and ask for forgiveness. We need to. He will forgive us. But that's to encourage us not to sin, rather to uh, encourage us to indulge in it. So uh, I'd rather suffer than sin. What, that's, what is that going to look like? It means someone thinking to himself, I am done with sinning. How else would you spot someone who thinks like Jesus in this way? Well, verse 4 uh, we see that such a person is also going to be willing to say, you can count me out. Such a person is also going to be willing to say, you can count me out. So again, just have a look down at verse 4. This is speaking of um, unbelievers in verse 3. Pagans, as the Peter describes them. They are surprised 
that you do not join them in their reckless wild living and they heap abuse on you. What surprises these people? What provokes them to heap abuse on the believer? It's when the believer doesn't join them, doesn't join in with their reckless wild living. In other words, when the believer says, you can count me out. When they step back and abstain from sinful activity with others. And as you think about uh, Peter's original readers, um, I, this would have meant for them uh, not joining in with certain aspects of public life. It may well have meant, um, you know, the conversation, guys, that uh, gladiatorial games, meeting, count me out, count me out, I, I, I won't be going. What? what? Why? Why? I don't, I don't think worshipping the emperor as God is right. Um, I don't think slaves being torn to pieces by wild animals is entertainment. Count me out. Or you think about their uh, family religious celebrations or trade meetings or civic holidays, all of which involved some aspect of idolatry, many of which would descend into drunkenness and promiscuity and so on. Count me out. Count me out. I, I, I won't be going. So I'd rather suffer than sin. What does that mindset look like? Well, it means willing to say, count me out. Now, this isn't saying that we need to cut ourselves off from everyone who doesn't believe and anything which isn't overtly Christian. This is not saying that. We're not being called to join a monastery here. And wonderfully, as we think about our culture today, there is much that as believers we can very much so get involved in. Much which isn't reckless and wild and sinful. And we just got to remember that we don't, wanna, we don't honor God when we draw the lines too restrictively, more restrictively than God's word allows. You can't be a Christian in the arts. Or you can't be a Christian in sport. Well, no. This isn't about cutting ourselves off from anyone who doesn't believe and anything which isn't overtly Christian. No. It's about not joining in with that which is wild and reckless and sinful. That's what we're to say, count me out too. So there's much that we can be involved in. Nevertheless, and this is what Peter's point is, there will be points when we've just got to say, count me out, count me out. Sometimes that will be very obvious to us and we've just got to be courageous and follow Christ. Other times it won't be obvious and we'll need great wisdom and we'll need to pay attention to our own conscience and we'll need to seek the advice of fellow believers. But there will be points when we just need to say, count me out, I'm not joining in. And as Peter says here, that will likely be very costly so for Peter's readers back then, because they didn't join in with idolatry and the wild living, they were thought of as enemies of the state. You can imagine people saying of them, well, why should the gods turn against us just because of a few arrogant Christians who refused to bow down? And so they heaped abuse on them. And likewise for us today, this will likely be costly 
when we say count me out. We've got to be braced for the kickback. Because when, because when we say count me out, even when, that's, when we do so politely and sensitively, it's clear to others what that really means. Because what it really means is, I think what you're doing is wrong and I don't want to be a part of it. It's not what we say, but that's what it means and they realize that. That's a truth that people will get. One writer puts it that our choice to follow Christ in these ways is an indictment of them. It will offend and we can't avoid that. We've just got to be ready for the suffering that may come as a result. And I think saying, count me out, and having that attitude, which is so important, I think this will be particularly costly for new believers. When the person who insults you um, isn't just someone random, but people who mean something to you, your old drinking buddies, or the friends that you used to throw your lot in with. When it comes from them, that'll hurt. And so as a church family, we really need to get ourselves around and uh, gather ourselves around those who are getting it in the neck for saying, count me out. But that's the armor that we need in the battle to live for God. We need Christ's mindset. I'd rather suffer than sin. I'd rather be rejected by man than sin against God. Um, which means saying, I, I am done with sin. I'm done with sinning. Being willing to say, count me out. But then as we come to the end of this passage, uh, we see that being insulted for Christ isn't the end of the matter because God is going to bring justice. God is going to bring justice. Have, have a look at verse 5 if you've, got, if you've got the Bible open in front of you. Those who insult, we're told, they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. In other words, those who insult believers for abstaining, they'll have to explain themselves before God. He's going to hold them to account. They won't get away with it. And for those who are insulted, God will bring vindication. That's what we saw last week. That's what verse 6 is about again this week. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they may be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Peter's speaking here about believers who have, who have died, who have now died. When they were alive, they heard the gospel, they believed, they lived for Christ, and they were judged according to human standards for that. That is, the court of public opinion judged them guilty because they didn't believe in Roman gods. They were labeled atheists. They were labeled a danger to society. You're disloyal. You're a Judas. They were judged according to human standards. But the verse goes on, they now live according to God in regard to the spirit. Again, tricky verse. But what it's saying is that these believers, for these believers, their case was brought to the Supreme Court, to God's court, and the verdict was overturned. God overturns the court of public opinion. So the court of public opinion said of these believers that their not joining in was, was arrogant. 
God's court said, no, 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 it was courageous. It was faithful. The court of public opinion called these believers disloyal. You're a Judas. God's court, the supreme court, said, no, 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 you were loyal. If you resembled anyone, it was Christ. You see, God overturns the court of public opinion. And for us, as we seek to live for Christ, that is an amazing encouragement. We may well be insulted for opting out, count me out. But if we are, one day those insults will be turned on their heads. They'll be rubbished and everyone will see it. There'll be vindication. So as we close, some some questions for us. I wonder, do you see the Christian life as a battle? I wonder, do you recognize the importance of being properly armed for that battle? Will you arm yourself with Christ's attitude, I'd rather suffer than sin, considering considering yourself to be done with sinning, being willing to say, count me out, even if it means rejection and insults? Because if you do, God sees that, and God cares, and God loves you in that, and will one day vindicate you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for his attitude. We thank you that you were and are so precious to him that he chose to suffer rather than to sin. And we pray that as those who trust in him and have received his rescue, we pray that we too might share that attitude, that we might consider ourselves done with sinning, that we might be willing to say on occasion when needed, count me out in honor of you. We thank you for the promise of vindication. We pray, please, that you would sustain and help us as we seek to live out the Christian life and to live out the battle to live for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.